You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you doing? Not too bad. Pretty good. I'm doing well. Thank you. Excellent. So we are both still sitting here, each in our own separate homes, and uh, through you know the new normal is, is starting to take place for me. What about with you? I would think so. Uh, it's been a, a couple of weeks now, and I think for the most part, I've been able to get in touch with uh, my hosts and somehow come up with a, a routine. Everything mm-hmm. is obviously uh, turned upside down, doing everything remotely in a sense, but we're trying to bring it back to uh, as it would be in the studio as best we can. But yeah. yes, things are, things are definitely uh, moving in the right direction for us here at Radio Maria. And I'm sure everybody feels this way. There's always that bit of transitional, there's a bit of a transitional period and trying to adjust, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, I think it's, it's going well. Excellent. Yeah, perfectly said. I do have to say, and I was, um, you know, as I was going through the couple of shows that we've already taped, it's it's different. The the practice of recording, I as I was saying to you earlier, it's, it's almost more nerve wracking for me than an actual live show. And I guess I think I miss the comfort of you there sort of guiding me as far as timing and everything. So um, I really looking forward to getting back into the studio and, and right. even now I'm, I'm looking outside my window and it just doesn't feel right because I'm so used to used to seeing you and all the other hosts when I'm doing the yeah. program but yeah this is this is very very different but at least we're able to bring uh, bring our listeners great content so yeah we have it's it's been uh, another uh, learning curve but you know we can only benefit from the new things we've learned so um, we move forward and uh, sooner than later we will be back in studio I'm, I'm really hoping and I do believe that'll be the case So obviously, today's show is taped, so no opportunity for calling in, but please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the Health Hub RMC on those platforms, and it's a great way to keep in contact and uh, an important thing to do during this time. And do feel free to email us. We are at thh at radiomaria.ca with any um, questions you might have, any, any concerns, any topics you like covered, or if you want information about our guest today, Cynthia Thurlow. So uh, do use that vehicle to get in touch with us as well. 
And please do subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, all your favorite uh, podcast podcast platforms. And you can also find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. So, Alex, you mentioned looking out the window, and I'm looking out the window here in uh, in my home, and spring is here, and uh, that's always a happy time. Lots of positivity when spring rolls around. It is. It's so beneficial to have the uh, the brightness of the day and come into into your house and brighten up your day inside and out. And and we can get out walking and moving, so there's exactly. you know we're not stuck in cold weather here. So it, it is nice to have the sun shining and the ability to get out and, and the sun warming you. And with springtime um, comes barbecuing, and you know especially with everyone being at home so much now, I, I've smelt the barbecues and and the great foods that are coming from them. And I wanted to talk to you about barbecue season a bit and more more importantly i wanted to talk to you about excuse me the preparation of your meats for barbecuing and i'd like to offer you this Uh, many people marinate their their meats and you know the the real impetus for this is flavor obviously but uh, here on the health hub we like to give you open up your eyes to other benefits that you may not have taken or considered during different things and routines of your life. So marinating beyond offering great flavors to your meats has some really solid health benefits. Did you know this, Alex? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, and I don't know what you're going to say. Okay, so let's move on to it and I I won't frighten you anymore. Grilling may reduce, sorry, not grilling, Uh, marinating may help to reduce the amount of potentially cancer-causing, they're called heterocyclic amines. Uh, You might know by the acronym HCAs, and these can form on meats that are exposed to very high heat, especially barbecuing. So when you marinate your, your meats, this actually can protect the, those carcinogens from, from, becoming a part of your meat and very important. I, I, I bring this forward all the time when I'm working with uh, my clients that uh, marinating serves so many more functions other than for taste. And, and this is a big one. Um, marinating can also slow the growth of harmful bacteria. So two really important, um, important things. And, and marinating can also help um, make the proteins easier to digest. So when you're adding the acid part of your marinade to the meat it helps to break down the fibers and helps to um helps us to eat our food helps it to be digested much easier so did you know this alex this new to you thanks yeah every day's a learning every day's a learning day (laughs) sometimes i really don't want to know much more than i like the taste but hey why not hey so now when you're marinating you can say not only am i making my food taste great but ah yeah some health benefits as well (laughs) exactly thank you kathy no problem at all um and and one final thing is that uh, i think i've mentioned this on the show before but seasonings and spices are full of antioxidants so really adding a lot of seasoning and rosemary and thyme and oregano over seasoning your meats is is again great flavor makes your meal much more appealing but also really adds a lot of good nutritional value to you so uh, not to you to your meats and i guess obviously to you as you're consuming them 
So a couple of tips here when it comes to marinating. Uh, marinate your meats in the fridge. So although marinating can deter growth of some bacteria, it may not deter it enough if your meat is left out in uh, a warmer temperature. So do marinate all your meats in the fridge to, to prevent bacteria growth. And never reused, reuse uncooked marinades. So um, I've come across many recipes where um, you can cook the marinade after you use it. So if you have a, sometimes even um, a balsamic marinade, which is a little bit more of a, a sweeter one, um, you can reduce that, the excess marinade down into a sauce, which is fine. But do not use, you know, if you put chicken in a bag and you've marinated in, in, in oil and vinegar and whatever, and you take the chicken out, either you cook that down that marinade or you throw it out. Never put it back onto your meat without having, having it cooked. Too much bacteria risk in there. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to give you just a quick and easy. I my favorite marinades are are um, with mustard. I, I don't know why I go down that route, but I really me like, too. You you as well? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm, I don't just don't like the sweet ones as much. So I like the hot ones and I like the mustardy ones. So this is just a quick little one that I throw together. Really, you know, a lot of times and just throw on the meat and throw it into the fridge. It's a quarter cup of olive oil a quarter cup of Dijon mustard. So that for me, I like half and half. Uh, You may not like it that strong, but I like it. Um, And then I add the juice of two to three lemons and I zest, I zest it to give it a really, you know, tangy taste and then chop off uh, two cloves of garlic and then add your seasoning. So I like oregano and thyme, but you can throw in rosemary, whatever you like, even some pepper, some paprika, whichever way you want to go with your meal, and salt and pepper to taste, and throw your meat in there. Um, Actually, I always forget to to add the zest of a lemon, for example, from uh, to to my marinade, and it and it really really uh, adds so much when you do for sure. It does, and it really makes it pop. Um, it, it, it's so you get the tanginess of the juice and the, the the freshness of the zest. So yeah, really easy to do too. You know, if you've got one of those scraper things, really easy to do. So I like this marinade. As I said, I use a lot, and and don't be afraid to marinate your vegetables as well. So I mean, it's it's uh, you know up, upping the taste of your vegetables is is awesome as well. So just a quick little marinade for you, and um, happy barbecuing, everyone, and welcome to spring. I'm definitely going to be replaying this segment next week. As you do all of them, right, Alex? Of, of course, but especially when it comes to food, I'm, I'm, I've become, I've become uh, really uh, fascinated now with uh, you know meal prep, and I'm always wanting to learn more. So thanks for all well, those tips, Kathy. You're welcome. You know, when we don't have, like, this is one of the big things that I'm trying to get used to. The, okay, I'm home late. uh, I'm busy. uh, Let's just, you know, run to the store and grab something quick and cook it up. Uh, When we don't have that, you have to prep. And yeah. that's, that's a, a thing. That is a, is a tough thing for a lot. And me included is, is, you know, now I get up in the morning and it's like, okay, so let's plan what dinner is at the very least. My, my kids are older and my husband's home and they can take care of themselves uh, during the day, but dinner's is on me for the most part. Um, and yeah, meal prepping is a, is a skill. Now, actually I should talk about that next week. Maybe I'll talk about, I think I have talked about meal prepping. We've mm-hmm. done a show on meal prepping actually. We have, so we can go back and listen to that, but that's a good thing to introduce, especially uh, for people now. But on to today's show. Our guest today is Cynthia Thurlow. Cynthia is a sought-after, successful entrepreneur, 
nurse practitioner, intermittent fasting and nutrition expert, founder of Cynthia Thurlow LLC, co-author of Primal Eating and co-host of Everyday Wellness Podcast. As an advocate for living a fulfilled, healthy and well-balanced lifestyle, Cynthia has committed her career to serving women coming of age. She is disrupting the notion that this is just how it is, now settle on and accept it, is leading the way for the change. So she's really trying to change that notion for us. As part of that endeavor, Cynthia brings over 20 years of medical experience combined with current and progressive nutritional perspectives and approaches to truly serve those in need. She provides hope and customized programs that work. She selflessly and transparently shares her own personal experiences through navigating the journey through hormonal imbalances, perimenopause, and all of the symptoms that plague so many women as a means to connect and relate to her clients in a raw, authentic way. Cynthia is a two-time TEDx speaker. Her second talk on intermittent fasting has more than 5.3 million viewers. Cynthia has been a guest on numerous podcasts and has been featured on ABC, Fox 5, KTLA, PIX11, and Medium and Entrepreneur. Very fascinating guest and a great topic, uh, intermittent fasting. Our learning points today, uh, again, among many, will be why, why intermittent fasting is a key piece to much more than weight loss, who is not really a candidate for intermittent fasting, and how we can start to incorporate intermittent fasting into our everyday lives. So everybody, we will be back to talk to Cynthia in a few minutes. Word of life, speak to my weary heart, strengthen my broken parts. Lead me to your open arms Word of truth Illuminate all these lies The enemy speaks inside And freedom I will rise Cause you call me out
You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC. And again, this show is being taped, so no opportunity for calling in. But uh, please feel free to email us if you have any questions for our guest, Cynthia, or if you would uh, like to give us some suggestions for show topics, whatever you like. We always like to hear from you, and um, we get back to you as soon as we can. So, Cynthia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure. And we're both working from home, which we were just talking about before we got on here, the new normal. So, um, um, how are you managing with all of this? You know, uh, we, we are managing our new normal. I've got a, a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old at home and two dogs and a husband who also works from home. So there is a lot of, a lot of noise and a lot of food preparation and food being consumed far more than we had, <laughs> we had anticipated. So it's been interesting, you know, kind of uh, making sure that we keep plenty of food in the pantry and in our two refrigerators and trying to look at the silver linings in all of this, of course. I think, honestly, that um, four or five, six months out of all of this, we're going to be wishing that we had a life um, less less busy, you know, and trying to appreciate the slowing down, but I think it really takes time, and it's really um, a matter of trying to form a habit of not thinking so much about it, but anyways, that's uh, that's going to be in the past, certainly. And, um, but anyways, let's move on to, to you and to your specialty. And how about starting us off with sort of who you are and the, the framework and the people that, that you enjoy working with? So I am trained as a Western medicine nurse practitioner, and I worked in ER medicine and cardiology for 20 years. And four years ago, really felt driven to leave clinical medicine and begin my entrepreneurial journey. I have always been a fan of eating healthy food, uh, but obviously after having children, I started to pivot a bit more significantly. And over the course of working with my cardiology patients, and and certainly I I love and, and respect and admire all the frontline healthcare providers that are out there keeping all of us safe. But I got to a point where I was really tired of writing prescriptions. I felt that there were ways to to impact health that weren't just about prescriptions. Obviously, we still need pharmaceuticals, but I do believe that nutrition can be equally powerful. And we're not focused as a society on prevention enough. And by that, I mean things as simple as eating less processed foods and you know, thinking about uh, you know, better sleep quality and stress reduction and, and things like that. And I, I came to find that most of my patients were not willing to make changes in their diet and they just wanted prescriptions. And so I, I found that uh, to be a little defeating and, and, and knew and felt strongly that there was a, a need and a desire for alternative perspectives. So I started my entrepreneurial four years ago. I kind of fell into... Uh, the perimenopause, menopause, female, you know, women from 35 to 55 and up who are really struggling and stuck. And by that, I mean, people who suddenly had never had problems with their weight were struggling with their weight. They couldn't sleep. They had terrible food cravings. Um, you know, they had no energy and they really felt like they had lost their, their inner goddess, if you will. And so I fell into creating, you know, one-on-one programs and group programs that served this particular niche 
And I've always loved public speaking. In fact, when I was employed by not only the hospital, but the private practice group that, that was my employer for many years, I oftentimes was sent out to do a lot of public health outreach. And in 2018, I decided that I needed to, as an introvert, I needed to push myself a little more. So I, I wanted to do a TED Talk. And the TED Talk concept uh, became two TED Talks, uh, one that was solely focused on women and perimenopause and beyond, and the second on intermittent fasting. And, and both of those have really become things that I'm known for, intermittent fa fasting primarily because I think it's a strategy that most, if not all of us as adults, can utilize. And it's something that's free and flexible. And so much of what is available in the consumer space these days is not free, not flexible, and oftentimes is full of things, either gimmicks or full of junk that our body doesn't need. So to be able to be a platform for a strategy that I think can impact health and wellness on a profoundly deep level uh, has become my life's work. And so I'm really excited and delighted to have seen that that second talk really uh, spurned things forward in, in many ways, drawing more awareness to the strategy, encouraging more healthcare providers to embrace it and learn about it so they can share that information with their, their prospective patients. And then on top of that, recognizing that I, I'm certainly not the creator of this concept, it dates back to biblical times, but recognizing that it is something that has been part of our lives through the millennia. It's just something that we've forgotten about over the last 50, 60 years when we've been conditioned that we have to have a big breakfast that starts with a lot of sugary foods, that we have to eat every couple of hours to stoke our metabolism, that we have to eat many meals. Um, and and I, I usually like to say that I describe BS, that it's time to get back to the way that our bodies are designed to thrive and not just survive. Because when I look at people my own age, I'm in my 40s, most people, it's the slippery slope. This is when most men and women really get to a point where they're no longer, they're no longer thriving, they're just surviving. You know, they've, they've gotten, um, typically they're, they're obese, um, they're not as physically active, and because of those two things, they put themselves at risk for uh, prediabetes or diabetes, as well as the rest of the metabolic uh, disorders, which can be fatty liver disease, vascular disease, et cetera. So I think from a public health perspective, uh, we are really obligated to start talking to people and getting real about what's not working. And the things that aren't working... Uh, on many levels are a lot of what we're doing and we've been conditioned to believe are the ways that we should live our lives. So I always say I'm a disruptor, but I'm, I'm an educator first. Uh, that's, that's how I see myself. I'm an educator. I want to inspire and educate people to take better care of their health. So Cynthia, did you feel that you had to come outside of the medical profession to get your word across or are you trying to bridge the two? Bridge the two because there is there is absolute value in traditional Western medicine perspectives. I mean, the current COVID crisis is is a good example of that. If we didn't have urgent and emergent medicine, uh, things would look very different. What I do think is that there's different perspectives when we're looking at prevention and we're looking at chronic disease management, and that's oftentimes where we see these functional perspectives. Uh, that that start to evolve, and so I have that training as well. So for me, I did have to step outside of my my prior nurse practitioner role because the practice I was with, although they they were very supportive of me talking to patients about food, they weren't in a position where we could pivot away from more traditional modalities, and and I don't fault them for that. 
I just think that there's growing awareness. I just know that I was seeing patterns that I found disturbing and I couldn't address the patterns the way that I wanted to in the current environment I was in. I think that's probably the easiest way to explain it. There's a definitive need for Western medicine. I'm not discounting that at all. And I admire and respect my peers enormously, but there are different perspectives with regards to how we can prevent disease and how we manage disease. And that's actually how I was trained. When I trained a million years ago, I was trained as a primary care nurse practitioner, but never functioned as one. I always worked in the acute care environment just because I'm an adrenaline junkie. I liked the you know, more exciting things I saw in the ER and, and uh, being in the hospital space than I did if I was just managing you know, something routine in the outpatient environment. Well, you know, and to give credit where credit is due, doctors are trained a particular way, mm-hmm. as are all professionals. Mm-hmm. And sometimes um, it's not so much, you know, and I hear this and, and I push back against this all the time about doctors not being receptive to this or doctors not wanting to try. I, I don't think that's a fair avenue to go down because I don't think, uh, you know, as, as any professional, the way you are trained dictates how you practice. And I think our medical, um, our medical doctors and those in the medical field are inundated with mm-hmm. patients. And I, I, I personally think, especially coming through on the cancer side of it, that there may not be time to until you step out of mm-hmm. your current role, there may not be time to develop a new perspective. And, and that's a vital role that you're playing is mm-hmm. bringing in this new perspective. Now, when it comes to intermittent fasting, and mm-hmm. you and I talked about this a little before the show started, you know, within the healthcare industry, we may be in a bubble and, and, and assuming that people have heard about what intermittent fasting is and understand the importance of it. But that may not necessarily be true. And that's, that goes straight to the heart of why I wanted you on the show. Let's talk about what intermittent fasting is and it, the benefits beyond weight loss. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know the benefits do encompass weight loss and that's a piece of the puzzle. But um, there's so much more to this protocol and this way of living and eating and the timing of what we eat that I think we need to to bring it to light for everyone to get the true value of why you are so behind um, this method of nutrition and intake. Yeah, and, and I think that the way to keep the concept of intermittent fasting very clear and concise is that you literally are skipping a meal. You are skipping your breakfast. So you are you are spending less time eating, excuse me, less time eating, more time fasting. And you're either existing in a fasted, not eating, or a feeding state that is as simple as I can make it. Most people that are listening to this probably eat within a 14 or 15 hour feeding window a day. What I advocate is that you flip it, that you spend less time eating in, within a specific window and more time fasting. And it's during the fasted state that all of the physiologic and psychological benefits are really uh, you know, garnered. And so what that might look like for someone is they eat dinner at 6 p.m. and then they don't eat again until 8 a.m. That's, that's a 14-hour you know, fasting window. People are already doing this. They just don't realize that they are. But it oftentimes takes out snacking. It takes out like late time, you know, nighttime eating. Um, you skip your breakfast. So you may eat dinner at 6 o'clock and not eat again until 10, 11, 12 p.m. Uh, I'm not an advocate per se for everyone to be doing just one meal a day. But you get two meals in within that six to eight hour feeding window. 
And the benefits, as you mentioned, everyone comes to it for the weight loss, but stays for everything else. You know, one of the first benefits that most people will sense is they will have tremendous mental clarity. And the mental clarity, the cognitive improvement is largely because their insulin levels are low. Now, insulin is a key hormone that our, our bodies produce and make in response to eating. And, it, and what happens when you're eating all day long is that you're spiking insulin all day long. The more insulin that's spiked, the more likely you are to gain weight. So when you're only eating two meals a day, insulin is kept low because you're only consuming meals. Like when you have that first meal, insulin is, is evoked so that you can move uh, you, your blood sugar, you know, your blood sugar can stabilize and move uh, the sugar into your cells and oversimplifying things. And then, you know, the rest of the time your insulin levels are low. And so when your insulin levels are low, your brain functions much more optimally. Some of the other things that really improve, and this is uh, respective to a lot of those biophysical markers that we focus on. So things like blood pressure and your cholesterol panel and your blood sugar levels will improve. We know that it will improve um, human growth hormone secretion. So human growth hormone secretion is involved in brain health, but also in muscle development. And so one of the things that happens with age, and it doesn't have to be that you're quote unquote old, when you're north of 40, you actually lose a quite a bit of muscle each decade. So sarcopenia is something we don't want. And there actually is some research to suggest that sarcopenia is one of the reasons that our bodies break down. So muscles are one of the largest organs in the body. And then you kind of pivot and you look at a reduction in specific types of cancer. Uh, you look at reductions in neurologic disorders like type 3 diabetes, which is Alzheimer's dementia, or Parkinson's. And so th the benefits go on and on and on. The one that I really like to focus on is a uh, term called autophagy. And autophagy is the spring cleaning of the cells. It's only evoked when we're not eating. So it's really critical that people understand that when you're snacking every two to three hours, there's no autophagy going on. It's only when you have these prolonged periods where you're not eating. And it doesn't have to be that you're doing a 20-hour fast. You could even do a 15, 16-hour fast and still derive a lot of those benefits. And I think when we're, especially in, in a situation like with the COVID pandemic, and we're talking about people being exposed to viruses and bacteria, and even though we're, in, we're home with our families, when you have to go out to get groceries or you're going to seek medical care, and that does happen, you know, some of us will need to have doctor's appointments uh, or healthcare provider appointments while we're home. Uh, but we know autophagy is one of those benefits that it helps kind of break down these disease disordered cells that we can be exposed to. Now, the research I've read, because I've been asked this quite a bit, is there benefits from doing a prolonged fast given the COVID situation? I think doing a 24-hour fast or less is reasonable, but doing a longer one right now, I'm just not seeing research to support that specific to COVID. But I do believe that this is a strategy that most people that are listening um, in conjunction with, uh, you know, working with their healthcare provider is a strategy that people can use throughout their lifetime uh, for tremendous benefits. But yes, everyone comes to intermittent fasting because they want to lose weight, but they stay for all the other benefits. And going back to the situation we, that we are in, in now, um, bad habits can start to form, mm -hmm. right? So I'm seeing with... Um, my own family, the constant back and forth to the fridge. Mm -hmm. um, my daughter is baking a lot more because she's, you know, 
trying to find things to do and creating habits. And this is an important understanding. We don't want to fall back into bad habits with our eating. Um, and when we're talking about insulin and, and the consistency of insulin flowing in our bodies, when we're constantly calling upon our system to digest, the the inflammation that is is evoked from this is also a key piece and may underlie some of the real benefits of not eating all the time. Um, now, when it comes to the timing of eating, mm-hmm. does it matter when this eight-hour window is? Like, can you do it from 12 till 8, 1 till 9? Do you find any, any difference in the timing of when this window is? Well, I think bioindividuality is important and it's really dependent on what works for your lifestyle because I get questions from healthcare providers, you know, they're convinced that they're going to have an energy slump in the middle of their day and that would be hugely problematic. Mm -hmm. So the the answer is you do what works for you, meaning I have some people that do a 10-6, I have others that do a 12-8, I have a few that do a 2 to 10 based on their, you know, their needs. And so I, I think that's the, the one thing that is really important to emphasize is that it's flexible. So if you're on vacation or if you're at home with your family uh, during the COVID situation, you can adjust that feeding and fasting window. There's no rigid rules. There's only a couple of rules, but there, there's no rigidity to those kinds of, of rules. And so, for example, I normally do an eight-hour feeding window. Well, because I'm not as active, even though I'm, I'm getting out and walking every day and I'm doing a home workout every day, um, I, I'm just not as active as I would normally be. So I've, I've tightened my, my fasting window and my feeding window a bit. And so I'm doing a shortened feeding window, a longer fasting window. And that's working for me right now. Now, if next week it's not, I have the ability to adjust that window. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it really depends on the individual and what, what works for them. I find that for some people, they're able to jump into a 16-hour fast very easily. And others, it needs to be a more gradual process. So I think part of this is really intrinsically listening to your body. You know, we've gotten so disconnected from our bodies in terms of how it feels, how we feel in our body, how we respond to food, how we respond to, you know, self-care measures. So I would encourage anyone to really, you know, pay attention. You know, it may be that you start out with a 12 or 13 hour fast and it takes you a couple of weeks to get to 14, 15, 16 hour fast. And that's okay. Some people do not get as, and I'll use the term fat adapted, some people have been sugar burners for so long, meaning they use carbohydrates as their primary fuel source, that it takes their bodies a bit longer to become fat adapted when they're tapping into ketosis to be able to keep their bodies energized. That's the easiest. It's an oversimplification, but it's a very easy way to explain. That is why people that are using intermittent fasting as a strategy are able to power through a workout or, or through their workday and not have energy slumps, whereas the person who is eating a very carb-centric diet, uh, and it's usually the processed carbs that I'm referring to, they're going to get energy energy slumps, they're going to have a harder time losing weight, they're going to get hangry, where they get uh, kind of grumpy when their their blood sugar goes low, because our bodies aren't designed to be eating all day long. You know, with the exception of children who seem to have, you know, metabolisms of hummingbirds, uh, including my my teenager, my, my tween, uh, I, I do think that it's really critical for us as adults to understand that, you know, our bodies are going to function best with eating less and fasting longer. I totally agree. Um, we're going to take a quick break here, everybody. And will we, we, when we get back, we will continue this discussion. We're going to talk about 
eating and is it important to eat certain foods? Well, we'll get into that after our break. Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Again, a reminder that this show is being taped. Um, we're going to continue our conversation about intermittent fasting with Cynthia, Cynthia, Cynthia Thurlow. That's a hard one for me to say, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cynthia, 
we've talked about the timing of eating. We talked about the importance of not eating all the time. You know, digestion takes so much energy and we need that time to, to repair and get out the garbage with autophagy, like you said. But I want to get to this question because intermittent fasting is something that I promote uh, highly. And I have seen people either lose too much weight or actually gain weight when they go into this type of eating. And I think there are two mentalities here. One or two mentalities or two errors, perhaps. One, and this is a personal one, when I started intermittent fasting, I didn't eat enough because I was not eating during the busiest part of my day. Mm -hmm. So when I got to the end of that, um, I, I was not feeling great. I, and then I thought, well, I can't eat now. And it was actually my daughter who pointed out to me that I wasn't eating enough. But I've also seen where people are like, okay, I am going to make hay when the sun shines and I'm going to eat absolutely everything I want in this eight <laughs> hours. So how, how do you approach when you're working with your people? Mm-hmm. What do you tell them to eat while they're fasting? And then, you know, it's important what, um, you know, to breaking the fast, all of these things. It's not just stop eating, right? There's a lot more to it. Yeah, so those are great questions, and I, I think those are common questions that, that I hear. So first and foremost, when you're fasted, the only things that you can eat that are not going to break your fast are as follows, water, bitter tea. I'm not talking about those delicious herbal teas that have got blueberry and apple and all those. You really want a bitter tea because you do not want to evoke an insulin response and plain coffee. And I I get a ton of questions about bulletproof coffee. And I remind people that that is not traditional fasting. That is fat fasting, which is very different. And when people are doing longer fasts, like two, three, four or five days, sometimes they will consume things like that or bone broth or branched chain amino acids, but all of the above will break your fast. So the things that are important to understand about what to break your fast with, I generally recommend that people break their fast with protein and a healthy fat doesn't mean copious amounts of fat. This is where people get into trouble. Even people get into trouble when they start doing keto uh, because fats are a good thing, but fats are very calorically dense. And although I do not track calories, I do not track macros. I don't suggest that people do that or most people do that um, because it's a calorically dense macronutrient, you know, the others being protein and carbohydrates. I don't recommend that people go overboard when they're trying to figure out what the, their sweet spot is. So you know, an ideal kind of food or meal to break your fast with might be eggs and bacon, maybe some avocado, uh, maybe a low glycemic berries. I don't recommend that people break their fast with focusing on a carbohydrate because we want our blood sugar to remain stable. And so the protein and the fat will take a little longer to digest than most carbohydrates will. Uh, I do believe that it's really critical what we're eating during our feeding window. And I always remind people it all starts with food. Everything starts with food. So it can either be your greatest gift or your biggest enemy. And this means that, you know, ideally you're shooting, you're shooting for the best quality protein that your budget permits. So, you know, wild caught fish, pastured pork, grass fed beef, bison, chicken, etc. cetera. Uh, I do encourage people to focus on healthy fats, but small portions. And, and for women, that could be a quarter of an avocado or it could be half. Uh, I do have some male clients who sometimes will tell me they'll eat an avocado or two at a sitting. And I remind them that, you know, they have the metabolism of a hummingbird. And if their weight is not going up, then, then that's not problematic. And then adding in carbs and I carb cycle. And so I tend to be low carb. I'm not saying this is the right decision for everyone, but I'm oftentimes asked what my philosophy is personally. 
for me, I, I hover in a carnivore-ish, low-carb environment, but I cycle my carbs, which means I'm not consistently low-carb every day. There's usually two to three days a week where I'm low-carb, two days where it's a moderate amount of carbs, and then I have one high-carb day, generally related to the days that I'm lifting heavy, which right now there's no lifting heavy in my house. So I'm just trying to keep things in the, you know, the low to moderate range and just you know, listening to my body. But it's critical that we understand that uh, when I talk about food quality, I'm not talking about a lot of bagged or boxed items. It doesn't mean that we don't have those in our home, but I really want people to eat foods in their most natural state possible. This is ideal. Like I always say, everything comes down to good, better, best. And so, you know, best is what I'm describing to you. Better might be maybe you're, you know, you're purchasing, um, you know, frozen, uh, you know, like a frozen quick meal. And, and that's okay because sometimes we, we need to have those. Just like sometimes we go out to dinner and we don't necessarily know how our food is cooked, what oils it's prepared in. Uh, I could have a whole tangential conversation about that. But when people get stuck with intermittent fasting, it is generally for two reasons. One, you've already alluded to, people not consuming enough macronutrients during their feeding window, meaning they're just not getting enough of what their body needs. And more often than not, it's an excess. You know, it's, it's rarer that I get people saying, I lost weight. Uh, unintentionally with intermittent fasting. I'm already at a good weight, but I lost weight. And it's usually because they're not getting the proper macros. Good for them. Sometimes they can increase their fats, or they might need a larger portion of protein. As women are hitting perimenopause and menopause, carbohydrates become a sticking point for many. And it doesn't mean that you don't have them. It just means you eat a lot less than you used to eat. So maybe half a sweet potato, half a cup of squash. I'm not a huge fan of gluten. I do occasionally prefer some of the ancient grains. And those are the things like amaranth, um, buckwheat, which is actually not wheat, some of those quinoa, which is a seed, low glycemic berries, um, you know, lots of fibrous uh, vegetables. Uh, but you know, looking at people that are oftentimes what's getting them into trouble when they say to me, I'm not losing weight on intermittent fasting, and we look at a food diary, they're consuming too much food, or they're consuming the wrong foods for their bodies. And so when we're really looking at, you know, weight loss as a puzzle, it's a lot of things play into that, and it could be sleep quality, stress, lifestyle management. Um, they could be consuming highly inflammatory foods, and the big ones that are worth mentioning are gluten, grains, dairy, soy, and processed sugars. And so sometimes people have to pull those things out of their diet to help figure out uh, why their body is not responding. There's, there's, there's many layers of why that can occur, but we always start with the food piece, and so I don't want people doing intermittent fasting and then thinking they can eat a standard American diet for the rest of their lives, and that's going to eat, that's going to, they're going to, you know, equal one another out. What oftentimes happens is they may have results initially, and then over time, because the standard American diet, uh, or the highly processed diet that many people consume is so inflammatory, that inflammation will, will yield weight gain easily. So uh, when it comes down to it, there's, I always say you have to put your detective hat on to kind of figure this out, making sure you're getting enough macros in during your feeding window, and then making sure that you're eating less processed foods. Now, uh, recall that I'm saying less because, you know, if people are starting from eating a, a highly processed diet, every little change has big impact. It may take a while to get to the point where you're eating um, a lot more vegetables and you're eating less processed foods and less things, you know, those highly excitotoxin, um, highly addictive. I mean, that's the issue with the processed food industry is that they make these products as addictive as possible. People, you know, dream about Doritos. They're probably not dreaming about <laughs> asparagus in their sleep. So once you've kind of reconditioned your taste buds and they've done an elimination diet and you've started some intermittent fasting and you're eating more healthful foods 
and you're sleeping better, all of a sudden the magic, I would say it's, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like this magic, um, magic awareness that all of a sudden you feel better, you have more energy, you want to get more active, and all these good decisions yield ultimately a much healthier human. We have to be patient with ourselves. Change yes. takes time. Habits, yep. uh, bad habits are tough to break and good habits are even harder to form. That's true. Now you've hit on a lot of the pain points and this is something that I'm interested in mm -hmm. as far as your opinion because I work with cancer patients and when we start talking about um, intermittent fasting and timed windows and, and fasting therapies, one question that comes up very frequently is that um, people need to take medication and oftentimes medication has to be taken with food. Mm -hmm. So this can be a real issue for somebody who's taking medications three times a day. Mm -hmm. um, they're instructed to take medication when they wake up in the morning. How would someone or could, maybe this is the, the, the better question, can someone under this, um, under this structure, can they do an intermittent type of fasting or do they have to flip, flip it up and be a little bit more creative? They may need to be creative. I mean, I, I find like I have, I have clients that uh, have been on antibiotics that they've needed to dose, you know, every so many hours. And so we've gotten creative. And I just remind people that first and foremost, taking your medication needs to be the focus. Don't let it be that you're focused on intermittent fasting, trying to figure out how to make this all work. Uh, mm -hmm. Because in, in no means are, are we suggesting that you not take your medication. We're just trying to be creative about how to make all of this work. Uh, in, in some instances, and I do talk to the healthcare providers that have prescribed the medicines, we get creative. So like, for example, thyroid medication you can take on an empty stomach, not an issue. But if someone's taking medication that makes them nauseous uh, and they can wait uh, until you know, 10 a.m. to take it, maybe they have a shorter feeding window or they have a shorter fasting window. Um, ultimately, I, I always remind people that the most important thing they can do is if they can only do a 12-hour fast, that's better than nothing. Uh, if they can only do 13 hours, that's better than nothing. But if they need to take a medication in the morning and it needs to be uh, with food, then they, need, then they need to follow that first. If that's, you know, of the, the high, I always say it's always this hierarchy in my mind of what is the most important thing that they need mm -hmm. to be doing? Or do they need to be fat fasting? Like, would they need to do a bulletproof coffee with their medication, which technically it's not real fasting, but maybe that's the best, you know, I remember when I said good, better, best, maybe that's the alternative so that they're still getting some benefits, but they're not truly fasting until they get to a point where they're not having to be as regimented. So I think the answer is it's always up to the you know, bio-individuality of the patient. You know, some people power through, like they'll say, okay, I know that I can eat two hours after I take this medication. I'll just, I'll just suffer through a little bit of nausea. Others will say, you know what, that doesn't work for me. What I'm going to do is take the medication um, towards the tail end of my fasting window and then I know I'm going to be eating in 30 minutes and I'll be fine. So there, there's, lot, there's no right or wrong answer except to say uh, we are not suggesting that you not take your medication. We just either need to get creative or we need to put fasting on hold for a period of time or we need to just have a very shortened fasting window knowing that that's beneficial for the digestive rest and some other things, but you're not going to tap into some of the more kind of powerful um, benefits until you're at a point where you're, you're not on such a regimented um, medication program. Okay. 
Um, now, there are two things I really want to hit upon before we're pushed against the clock here. You, uh, just in passing, me- mentioned uh, thyroid medication. Mm-hmm. And women in general hit a certain age and weight gain is a lot easier than weight loss. Correct. This may have to do with many things, including the thyroid and metabolism. Mm-hmm. Have you found when you put women on, uh, or men for that matter, on an intermittent fasting schedule, do you find that the thyroid responds well? And is this a piece of, of that perimenopausal, menopausal puzzle that um, intermittent fasting can really boost? Great question. I think there's so many reasons why women gain weight in middle age and, and an underactive thyroid is right up there uh, mm-hmm. along with insulin resistance and stress response and sleep. So I do believe that intermittent fasting can work, but you have to be very attuned to labs. Like I either run labs or have them run on all of my female clients so that we're monitoring it because I remind them, I'm like, listen, if you need more thyroid medication, as you're doing this, it doesn't necessarily mean there's something that intermittent fasting is driving this. I always say, are you sleeping? How is your energy? How is your mental clarity? We use that as a barometer for many, for really looking at it. Like, is this working for you? I would say maybe 10%. And obviously my N is, is not, is not thousands and thousands. It's less than a thousand. I would say maybe 10% of women that start intermittent fasting that have underlying thyroid issues just don't thrive with it. And they get very disappointed because they're very fixated on the weight gain. And I remind them, there's another piece to this puzzle that we're not aware of. For example, if I can't get you to sleep, I cannot get you to lose weight. I'm going to say that again. If I cannot get you to sleep, I cannot get you to lose weight. So they get fixated on the thyroid and I remind them, it's, this is not about your thyroid. This is about the lack of sleep. So there's many pieces to this puzzle. But yes, I do believe that women can, if they are taking care of themselves with proper self-care, sleep, um, and stress reduction, as well as you know eating properly, that they can do intermittent fasting, but they really have to be mindful of, of how they're doing it. Like someone that's in their 20s and 30s might stop getting their, may stop getting their period, which is the sign that it's not working for them. Mm-hmm. When you're in perimenopause and menopause, it's teasing out these other issues that can be hugely problematic. So what, what brings me to the, the big question here, um, who is not a good candidate for mm-hmm. intermittent fasting? Well, I would say first and foremost, those are the disordered relationship with foods. If you've got an underlying history of anorexia, bulimia, or binge eating, may not be the right strategy. Uh, Those that have an existing history of significant diabetes where they're not able to distinguish when their blood sugar is low, when they're hypoglycemic, or if they're a brittle diabetic. I believe those that are under the age of 18, I just don't think kids should be doing this. If you're still growing, you should not be doing intermittent fasting. I had a lot of questions about that. I would say the average 70-year-old or older, average, I'm saying average, there are always outliers. I get lots of nasty emails about this, probably shouldn't do this strategy. And what I find is most people, as they get older, they eat less food anyway. So they may be doing this unknowingly. Mm -hmm. Um, Those that have chronic diseases, so if you've got chronic vascular disease, you've got liver or kidney disease, you should be having a conversation with your healthcare provider. Um, and, and I think the other piece is if you're chronically underweight, uh, you know, I had a hospitalization last year where I lost 15 pounds and I wasn't able to intermittent fast for a while. Um, if someone's underweight, they shouldn't be doing this. I, it, my concern is that I see a lot of women on social media in the fit pro industry that uh, use intermittent fa- fasting as a, an excuse not to eat at all. 
And so I, I think that if you're chronically underweight, it, your body needs some nourishment. So you have to be very conscientious about, you know, staying, you know, it, there's, there's a kind of a fine line between being thin and too thin. And there are a lot of people that cross over that and that can lead to other problems. So those are, those are the, 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 the absolutes in my mind that are that you have to be cautious about. But I, I do think people can do it with thyroid issues. Obviously, it has to be stable. Stable meaning the dose of medication you're on, you've been on for a while. You're not actively, you know, you don't have a hot thyroid, uh, meaning that you, you're getting radioactive iodine or you've had, you know, a recent um, study to look a little bit more closely. But I would say the average person does very well with intermittent fasting, but there are always exceptions. And that's why, you know, looking at, What's your energy? What's your sleep like? How's your mental clarity? Or three ways that you can kind of check in with yourself to see if it's working well for you. So the takeaway here is best to talk to somebody who is very proficient and knowledgeable with starting you on an intermittent fasting schedule. You can't just jump right into it. Um, you know, you can play around with it, but you know, especially like you said, if someone has a health issue. Mm-hmm. highly um, recommended to talk to somebody in the field who knows what they're doing, who can see any red flags. Cynthia, it's been great having you on the show. If people want to get in touch with you, um, where can they reach you? Um, well, I'm all over social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. But my website is a great place to start. So it's www.cynthiatherlow.com. And there you'll find links to uh, my own podcast called Everyday Wellness. Uh, the TED Talks and and blogs, we try to stay up and current as much as we can, but it's been lovely to be here with you today. Oh, thanks. And it's, you know, it's it's such a great topic and something that I'm passionate about myself. So everybody, this will be again... Um available all the information will be available about Cynthia so if you'd like to follow up with her such a great resource if this is a path that you're thinking about going down and one that we both suggest that you consider everybody thank you for joining us and we will talk to you next week on the health hub Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.